Amen. That was a surprise. Thank you, Pastor Rick. Sorry. Had a lot of people praying for me today. I was, uh, we had a whole plan worked out. I was going to maybe, maybe um, preach in 11, 9, and then you guys are going to watch me preaching at 9 to right now. But um, God is good. Amen? Amen. I'm just getting over a cold and felt like yesterday I bounced back and then Sunday came, but the enemy uh, won't win. We're going we're gonna to hear God's word and we're going to lean in and do what the Lord has for us to do. So have you been enjoying this series so far? The blessed life, praise God. It's been a, it's been a great time, and the Lord's been teaching us a lot, teaching me a lot as we've gone through this. When we started the we, uh, the series four weeks ago, we began by talking about the four pillars of blessing in our lives. These are four things that we see in Scripture that God has connected to His blessing, and those uh, those, those uh, three pillars are um, obedience, stewardship, and do we remember the third one, generosity. So those are, th- are key priorities, pillars that need to kind of rest in our lives. We need to have lives of obedience, lives that are good stewards of what God has called us to, and of generosity. Then we talked about patterns of blessing, that there are habitual things, patterns that need to develop in our lives. Patterns around planning, saving, resting, and giving. And as we were sharing that message, I felt the Lord really personally convicted me about resting. What does it mean that there are patterns of resting that God blesses in Scripture? And so just as a teaser, when we get into 2020, I believe the Lord is going to bring us through a series of messages specifically connected to rest um, and what it means that he blesses this thing called Sabbath rest. So get ready for that because I know the Lord's going to bring us on a journey in the weeks and months to come. Um, and then after rest, we said uh, patterns of, of giving. Um, then last week we talked about the principle of first. If you remember the big idea from last week's message, when God is first, everything else comes into order. Amen? How many of you desire that God's first in your life? Is that the, that's your heart's desire. And so we talked about that idea of how do we practically and tangibly put God first in our lives. And today we're ending on this message that the Lord has just been welling up inside of me. And it's going to be talking about what does it mean to see multiplying generosity flow through our lives. Multiplying generosity. So if you have your Bibles, would you open with me to John chapter 6. As you're opening there, I'm going to pray, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I pray right now, Lord, that you would be strong, that you would speak clearly. Holy Spirit, I, um, I just stand behind you, Lord. I can't do this in my own strength. And I would ask you now to make this word come alive in our hearts, Lord God. We want to hear a word from you, Lord. We want to see what you see. We want to know what you know, Lord God. And so make this known to us today. Stretch us, Lord. Lead us out of our comfort zones, Lord God, so that we could stand in a place where we could see the miraculous flow, Lord God. In our, in our own presence, Lord, we pray that you would do what we could never do in our own strength. Teach us, Lord, about your heart of generosity, Lord God. Help us to model it today and every day. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. In John chapter 6, we come across an account in Scripture. It's, there are four Gospels. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are four accounts of the life of Jesus. They're told by eyewitnesses, people who saw him and who spent time around him and with his followers. And as Jesus lived and he moved and he healed and he rose the dead to life and he worked miracles and taught all of these things were recorded by these four gospel writers. 
And as time went on, um, we can read them today, and we have the story in the stories of the life of Christ and who he is. But what's really beautiful is that there are certain things, certain stories, certain miracles that took place that were so powerful that when those four people individually sat down and were praying and the Holy Spirit was bringing to their memory the things that they would uh, preserve and share as a part of the life of Christ, there are certain miracles. One of them is the miracle we're talking about today. It's a miracle of multiplication. In, right before first service, I was uh, in, in an office, and there were some volunteers there, and one of them was telling stories about Israel when we took our trip there a few years ago. And as they shared, they, I was reminded about this story and that at one point in Israel, um, during our trip, we went to the church called the Church of the Multiplication. It's where they believe this miracle took place. It's when Jesus took a lunch and he fed the multitudes. Are we ready to dive into God's word this morning, church? So let's look in John chapter 6, starting in verse 5. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test them because he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, It would take more than half a year's wages. Look that right there. It might in your Bible say, Uh, 200 denarii to buy enough bread for each one to just have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Let's pause right here. The Bible accounts for how many men were present, but there are also women that would be present and children that would be present. So this could be anywhere from 10,000 up to 15,000 people total sitting here. Jesus said, sit down. I got five loaves and two fish. Some of you know what happens next. Don't let the miracle minimize it because you're familiar. Are you with me? Take this in for just a moment, that there are that many people there are like ten to 15,000 people sitting there. And, when, and whenever Jesus took these loaves and he gave thanks, he lifted them to heaven. He then distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they all had enough to eat, say enough to eat. He said to his disciples, now go gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God who wastes nothing? And so they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. How many baskets are left over? Twelve. Start with five loaves, two fish, and with 12 baskets of all the bread that's left over. This is called a miracle of multiplication. How many of you know that Jesus still has the power to multiply today? He still has the power to work miracles like this. We've seen it over and over and over again. In fact, some of you uh, have given a shoebox. I didn't get to see when Mandy asked how many of you have done this. We have. I found out, um, I was just talking with someone that's one of the leaders in that ministry, and they said, you know every one shoebox actually impacts seven lives. By you giving that one shoebox, you're already impacting seven lives. You thought it was one child, but it's an entire family. And then if that one family's impacted, that whole village could be impacted. Do you see the idea of how even just something as simple as a box can multiply in a ripple effect? God works in such incredible ways beyond what we could ever imagine. 
But there's a few principles I want us to look at today as we dive into God's Word and understand this. Because God desires to do the same thing today, but it took a few key things that I see here. They're principles that are connected to multiplication. The first thing is this, that this meal in and of itself was just going to feed a boy and maybe a few of his friends. But in the hands of Jesus, it has the power to do so much more. When it's put in Jesus' hands, it has the power to multiply. The first thing I'll share with you today is this, that it has to be blessed to multiply. So there's this idea that it is blessed. Look in Matthew chapter 14, verse 18. This is the telling of the exact same story. Jesus said, bring them here. Bring the boys lunch here. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up towards heaven and did what? Bless them. He blessed them, and then um, he, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave it to all the people to eat. And so we see that this is what Jesus had the ability to do in verses 18 and 19 of Matthew's gospel. It has to be blessed. It isn't about it being in our hands. It's about is it in Jesus' hands. As we place it in his hands, we're putting it in the hands of the one who has the power to bless, to multiply, and to do with it what we could never do on our own. One of the most powerful attributes in Scripture we see that God will do is he will bless someone. He blesses to bring life. He blesses to multiply. He blesses the Sabbath and calls it holy. He blesses resources and allows them to stretch and go beyond what could ever be imagined. First thing, it has to be what to multiply? Blessed to multiply. The second point, it has to be given to multiply. So it has to be blessed. It's in the hands of Christ, but also it has to be given. This young boy took what he had in his hands and he gave it to Jesus. You know, we see that the disciples, Andrew calls out and says, hey, we found this young boy. When Philip's talking, Philip says, we could work for an entire half a year and we wouldn't have enough money to pay just to get enough bread for all these people. So Philip, estimating what the value would be, he puts it on 200 denarii. He says, this would be at least half a year's wages for us to be able to pay for just each person to get one bite of bread. And then out of nowhere, you have this young boy. And, you know, sometimes we just have to have faith like a child. You know that? Sometimes we have to get to that point that I've seen that before with my own children, that I'll be looking at a big issue And then they come over with this little tiny thing, and it's like, that's not going to make any difference. But say, hey, will this help? And you're like, oh, thank you. I I see how you see it, but no, this, you know. They didn't dismiss him, though. Jesus said, don't let the little children depart from me. Let them come to me. You know, here's what I want you to know, that these disciples didn't steal this kid's lunch and bring it to Jesus. It's not this band of thugs that came and, give me that lunch, boy. We're going to, Jesus needs it. They said, they said, here. This young boy's offering his lunch. The disciples couldn't even see. I mean, they're they're doing all the math in their head. But this young boy, sometimes you can get so paralyzed by seeing the need, by seeing what's out there, by seeing the brokenness in this world, that you think, I have nothing. I could never do anything to even make a difference. It can't even be a drop in the bucket compared to what the need is. But sometimes you have to have this heart like this little boy that says, Lord, this in your hands I think might make a difference. This in your hands, maybe a miracle could take place. He's the one that heals the the blind. He's the one who who brings the dead back to life. He can't multiply a resource. He created it all. He spoke it into being. So this young boy just brings it. 
And I have seen over and over again in my own life and in others' lives, when we take the little, it may seem insignificant. It may feel like we have nothing to offer. But when you take what God has already given you and you put it back in his hands, he lifts it, he blesses it, and he multiplies it. It's not just giving it, though. It's giving it in faith. This young boy believed that what he had in his hand could make a difference or it wouldn't have been offered to Jesus. Do we, believe, do we realize that some of us, we may think we're, we're so caught up with what we don't have. Do you realize that what you do have, God could use? God can make a difference for eternity in our lives and in others' lives as a result of that. So we give in faith trusting. What could it do? We may not know, but God knows. And God understands, and God could do more than we could ever think or imagine. So we see this story, but as we go further, I want you to open up with me and go a little bit further in John's Gospel. In John's Gospel, we find in chapter 12, this word, denarii, it's, it's the amount of money that, that was set aside, shows up again. And this time it happens in, in, in an extravagant way. This is after Lazarus has been raised from the dead and Jesus heads back to Bethany. And it says this, six days before the Passover, John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Could you imagine this? Last time Jesus was in town, Lazarus was in a tomb. And everyone's crying, and everyone's there for a funeral, and now they're having a party celebrating, honoring Jesus. That's why whenever you come to church, you're not supposed to come to church. It's not supposed to be a place of uh, a place where we just all come together and feel really bad and are afraid, like God's going to punish us or we need to be really somber. When the people of God get together, we should be celebrating the same way. You know why? Because we were all dead, and we're all alive because of what Jesus has done to us. Amen. That's a different message for a different day, I think. But here, here's what's going on. They're sitting at the table. Lazarus is reclining, alive. And then Mary goes. And the, the dinner isn't enough for what Jesus has done. The celebration isn't enough. All, the, all that Martha's doing isn't enough. Mary goes, and she pulls out this perfume. It's called pure nard. And it says she took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. This is an understatement, expensive. None of you have perfume this expensive in your house, I don't think. And she poured it on the feet of Jesus. And she wiped his feet with her hair. And the whole house filled with the fragrance of her perfume. I want you to know that the Bible talks about the idea of worship, that worship releases a fragrance. It actually, like, it's like pleasing to God. God says as it gets to heaven, like even today as we're worshiping, and if we're worshiping in spirit and truth, if we're worshiping from the depths of our heart, that it's like a fragrance rising to heaven. God's pleased with that. He's honored with that. We see all this imagery happening here. It's like a fragrance. It isn't just the perfume. It's the, it's the way she's lifting up and honoring Jesus. It's so key in this moment. But then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, I get angry just reading his name at times, because you just think, man, what happened here? What was going on? Who was later to betray Jesus. He was the one who betrayed him. Sold him for some silver. He says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? He's watching her pour out this perfume. Now catch this. It's worth a year's wages. One bottle, one pint of this perfume 
a year's wages, 300 denarii. Remember all the people sitting in the field, 10 to 15,000? They said 200 denarii might be able to pay to feed all of them. She just poured 300 denarii worth of perfume, a year's salary, on Jesus' feet. Think about that. It means something so valuable, probably the most valuable thing she had in her home. He didn't say this, though, because he cared about the poor. It was revealing his heart. It's because he was a thief, and he was a keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to whatever was put into it. (coughs) In this passage, (coughs) you see two hearts being reflected, a heart of generosity and a heart of selfishness. See, for Mary, it wasn't about the dollars and cents connected to it. It was all about Jesus and what he had done. And the generosity that was flowing out of her life was because of what Jesus had poured into her life. It was because of what Jesus had done for her. When you think about this idea, it was one year's worth of wages poured out in front of her. She poured one year's salary on Jesus' feet. Did Jesus think it was a waste? Why? Because he was looking at her heart. He was looking. He saw something different. He saw a generous heart. It stems, ultimately, that's what I want you to know. Generosity flows from a grateful heart. That's where generosity is meant to flow from. It doesn't, it doesn't flow from an entitled mentality. It doesn't f- uh, flow from a place where I have pity on someone or whatever the case. It comes, the, the, the generosity we're talking about is meant to flow from a heart that's grateful for what the Lord has done, about what Jesus has done. Everything happens on the other side is because of what Jesus has already done. Do you think about this for a moment? A year, I mean, some of you are like, I can't wrap my head around a year's, like a year's salary, like a year's worth of someone's wages, just like poured it to feed Jesus. That feels very, very wasteful. But here's what you're not realizing, is that last time Jesus was there, her brother was dead. How much would she have paid to get her brother back for just another day? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, I mean, it's like nothing compared to what he has done in her life. When we look at everything we have, we look at everything we have, everything we want, is any of it worth what Jesus has done in our lives? It's, it's insurpassingly greater what Jesus has done to save us, to restore us. And so this heart of generosity is different. It's different because of the fact of what Jesus has done. He raised the dead. You know, we get a different perspective on what's valuable and, and not valuable in this world when we see someone raised from the dead, when we see the power of God show up in a special way. And it marked her life. She had a generous heart, and she, she wanted to do that. She stretched. She wanted to do this because it was about Jesus in that moment. I want you to know whenever generosity flows through your life, it's meant to really be fixed on who Jesus is, you remembering, understanding. See, when we talk about the tithe, when we talk about giving, uh, we see that as obedience. That's really a picture of what it means to come alongside, see God's word, and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to trust you in this way. I'm going to live off this 90. I'm going to give to you, uh, really return to you. Uh, I can't give what I don't have. Lord's yours. I'm returning it to you. And then when we talk about stewardship, that's really about discipline. I'm developing godly disciplines in my life when it comes to the resources, my time, my talent, my money. When we talk about generosity, it's really a reflection. It's about reflecting the heart of Christ. The Bible says when it comes to giving in this way, giving in offerings, giving in generosity, each one should give what the Lord has put on your heart. There's actually a spiritual gift of giving. It's someone who, who has this, this special power of generosity to be able to go even above and beyond. But all of us are called to be uh, givers in this way, to be generous, to consider in our own hearts what we would give um, 
to, to serve the Lord, to honor the Lord towards kingdom work that he would have for us to do. You know, I really believe God's blessing has really touched Evangel Church in these last several years. And as I've thought about our story, we're over 100 years old. What I have seen, even through this series and through what we've been discussing, is how these principles have been at play long before I was pastor. But I've seen and heard stories about a church who had to choose between paying the electric bill and being obedient to fulfill the missions commitments they had made, promises to missionaries all over the world. And those leaders got together and they prayed. And they said, Lord, our first priority is we're going to be obedient to you. And we're going to trust you and watch what you do. And guess what? They never went without being able to pay a bill. The Lord poured blessing out. He honored it. He helped. He sustained through the years. Then the Lord brought increase. More people came to the church. There were more resources. Um, all these things happened. And so what the church did is said, we want to be good stewards of what the Lord entrusted to us. They became good stewards. So we have obedience. We have stewardship. And then over these last several years, we've seen God raising again and again our capacity to be generous. And so we give above and beyond to missions, things outside the walls of this church, across the street and around the world. Over the last few years, we've been able to give over a million dollars each year to missions, to outreach efforts, to things that aren't for here, it's for out there. And as that goes out, the Lord is blessed and he's honored. And as he pours back in, we've really realized, I remember treasurer after treasurer, different leaders in our church standing in front of the membership and saying this, we can't outgive God. There was one time we gave away an amount of money out of the bank, and then they looked, and within like a few months later, the exact amount came right back. They said, all right, what does it mean? we got to do it again, and they would just continue to be generous. So we got to about six years ago. And we had money in savings. We were waiting to buy a property next door, and that was never materializing. And we were kind of holding on to it. And there had been years that had gone by that we had done nothing with it. And we said, we're just waiting. But the Lord convicted our heart reading the parable of the stewards. Remember the one that buried his talent? And we had asked the question, have we buried our talent? Do we, do we literally take the resource that God gave us and we're burying it? We're waiting on something. We don't know when it's going to happen or what's going to happen. Instead, we said, we feel God wants us to sow this into missions into things beyond the walls of our church. And so we made another commitment five years ago that over a period of five years, we would give away above and beyond the tithe, above and beyond every offering dollar that came in, we would give $1.25 million extra away to missions. And that's what Village Transformation has been about. That's why there's water projects. That's why there's a medical clinic in Uganda. That's why Teen Challenge has been transformed up in Lebanon, New Jersey. That's why, because church, we've been able to model this generosity. And so now, by the end of this year, we will have given away $1.25 million above and beyond everything else we gave away. It's all going to be given. So now the question is, now what do we do? We don't give above and beyond anymore. No, that's not my heart. Question is, we're going to continue to lead the way and we're going to continue to rise in generosity. And so we're going to be moving into something in 2020 that I'm really excited about. It's going to be called Kingdom Builders. And Kingdom Builders is about doing the work of the kingdom across the street and around the world and seeing generosity continue to flow to meet some of these specific needs in those areas. I'm going to invite our missions teams to come forward right now. They're going to join me and help me hand out a pamphlet that I want everyone to get in your hand. Because as we come to the end of 2019 and we end this series, I believe the Lord is calling us to take a big step a step of generosity, a step of stretching, a step of modeling his heart. And I'll invite you, Pastor Rick, to come up at this time. 
And so just get this pamphlet in your hand right now. You'll, you can just begin to hand those out, and it's called Kingdom Builders. And what you're get, receiving right now is we are going to be, between now and the end of December, receiving what we're calling a year-end offering. And this year-end offering is going to go 100% out the doors of our church to meet needs in kingdom work across the street and around the world. We're talking about things that are above and beyond anything we've already been able to do. This year, we are, we are on target for a million dollars going out in missions. This will be above and beyond that, that we're going to be able to continue to give as we even get into 2020 for some amazing projects that are ahead of us. Go ahead and open up that pamphlet, and I want to share with you about these three areas of focus for our Kingdom Builders offering this year. The first one is around church planting. You see, we want to see a life-giving church in every community. I'm so thankful for Evangel Church being here. But there are parts of the world that don't have access to a church. In fact, in Eurasia alone, there are 731 people groups, 63 million people, 97% of them don't have any access to the Christian faith. So we're going to be, begin to see churches being planted around Eurasia other countries that don't have any access to the gospel, where it's illegal to be a follower of Christ, we were going to provide resources to help those churches be strengthened and even get started in areas. So that's a part of where the offering is going to go. The other part is towards care and rescue efforts. We want to make a difference locally and globally by investing in organizations on, on, on mission in areas of care, rescue, and expanding the kingdom. This year's end-of-year offering is going to go towards anti-human trafficking efforts. We even raid in our own backyard to rescue people out of that life, out of that brokenness, out of that slavery. Let's call it what it is. Provide ministry to them. Also for other disaster relief through Convoy of Hope and some amazing missions partners and other special missions projects. You'll see a picture of their heart for Lebanon supporting our refugees. That's where the resources are going to go for that part of the offering. The final one is village transformation. We are all about changed lives, changing communities. We want to see communities restored across the street and around the world. And this year's offering is going to go towards village transformation efforts internationally in villages that we've been working with and partnering with. And it's going to provide clean water wells, and it's also going to help to rebuild homes. You'll see a picture. That's an actual picture from Guatemala, the before and after of a house being restored a family being able to be given a brand new house and a brand new life. And so that's where the offering uh, is going to be going towards. Last year, we did something very similar uh, in the month of September, and we decided we would take up one offering. We called it an epic offering. And our goal was to raise $100,000. Church, you set the bar even higher. We gave 126000 in that offering last year. So we praise God. It went even further than we can ever imagine. And because of the good stewardship of our partners, it reached even further than we were anticipating. The power of God multiplying our giving. And so this year, we've set a big goal, a God-sized goal that we're trusting the Lord is going to help us to meet. And it is $200,000 between now and the end of the year. So I'm going to encourage you to do this. You, get, you come, if you tithe, you continue to give your tithe. This is above and beyond that. This is an offering. And on your offering envelopes, you can write Kingdom Builders whenever you're ready to give that. Um, you can give it online. You'll see a designation there. If you turn to the back of this pamphlet, you'll see the three ways that you can give. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go away. I want you to pray. I want you to ask the Lord whatever it is he puts on your heart. And then as he does, you give. Give that. Give that generously. Give that in faith. And we're going to believe together 
that all of us, some of us may be walking and feeling like all I have is this five loaves and two fish. Let's see how Jesus multiplies it as we place it in his hands. Amen. Some of us say, this is something I've been holding on to. It's so valuable to me. But as we really consider what God has done, we're going to see a heart of generosity flow from this house. I believe this is going to be a turning point, church, where we're taking another step in generosity as a body. So I want you to bow your heads with me. Take that pamphlet in your hand. We're going to pray. Lord, we are so thankful, Lord, for your word today. I'm so thankful that your word reminds us, Lord God, that whenever we trust you, whenever we put you first, whenever we honor you, Lord God, and when we reflect your heart in generosity, Lord, you work miraculously and you have the power to multiply. When we think about all the needs, Lord God, when we think about these villages, these areas, Lord, people caught in these uh, terrible situations, Lord, we can be overcome by the need. But Lord, give us hearts like that young boy that looks at what we have, what you've placed in our hands And Lord, we realize that as we give it to you, Lord God, that you will bless it, that you will multiply it, that you will use it to meet the needs of many, that you would receive this offering and would it do what we could never see it done in our own hands. So we pray for that right now, Lord God. We thank you that you hear us. We thank you, Lord God, that you use this. We thank you that 100% of it, Lord, is going to go outside the doors to make a difference for the kingdom all around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand to your feet with me this morning? I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. If you need prayer today, we'd love to pray with you. I'm so thankful that you've been here today and that you have been enjoying our services. We're excited for what God's going to be doing over the next few weeks as we end out 2019 together. You don't want to miss any of it, including this Thanksgiving Eve service on Wednesday night. So if you need prayer, you're welcome to come forward. Um, If not, save your conversations for you. I just want to bless you as you go today. Lord Jesus, I pray your blessing upon each person today, whether online or here in service, that you would reach your hand out over them, that they would walk in the fullness of what you have for them, Lord, that they would apply, we would all apply your word in these areas to our lives, that we will see lives marked by the blessing of God. We thank you, Lord, that is even more blessed to give than to receive, Lord God. So give us the capacity to do more, to reflect your heart, and to go this extra mile, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you today as you go. We'll look forward to seeing you again on Wednesday and next Sunday.